Thanks everyone for tuning in. Welcome to episode one, the premiere of the Dev Talent Podcast, where we speak with software engineering leaders about their career path and journey into code. My name is Sean. My co-host, his name is Chris. Hey Chris, how you doing? Hi Sean, happy to be here. Great. And today we are very happy and excited to be joined by Melissa Benua, Senior Director of Engineering at MParticle. Um, Melissa has had a stellar 18-year career with stops at Boeing, Microsoft, and PlayFab, who I, I think is owned by Microsoft, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe, Melissa, you can clear that up for us. Uh, prior to joining MParticle in 2017, MParticle is a New York-based customer data infrastructure company who recently announced their Series E funding of $150 million led by Premiera. So they're doing some really exciting things. Melissa, welcome. Congrats on your recent promotion, by the way, and congrats on the Series E. We really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us today. Yeah, thank you. It's been a very exciting October for us so far. Happy to be here. Is there one thing or maybe a few things that motivated you or made you get into the software development field? Yeah, so I have a pretty a pretty typical of answer of people who got into software development when I did, and I guess it's probably true now as well, um, which is I was a very tech-oriented kid, right? I would sit, my uncle would babysit me, and we would play on his <laughs> Commodore 64. Uh, so I was playing, uh, playing video games since well before I could read. Uh, and it was always a passion area for me. I remember talking to my mom about, I want to, when I grow up, I want to be an astronomer. I want to go to space. And she said, yes, that's great. But also, did you think about computers? You're very good at them. Um, and I thought about it for a while. And after I got over the teenage, I can't do it because my mom said so. Uh, turns out I actually did really enjoy computers <laughs> and uh, still do. Um, understanding how to make them do things and uh, the flow of logic and solving algorithms and puzzles um, has always been a lot of a lot of fun for me. And that's what I do every day. It's actually still what I do every day, even though I don't always write a lot of code anymore. I'm still solving uh, systems puzzles and people puzzles um, and high level high level technical challenges. That, that's so cool. So do you still game today or was that just in your earlier years? Oh, oh, I do, but uh, I have <laughs> I have a three, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, so I don't have a lot of time. Okay, what's your platform of choice? Uh, I jump back and forth. I recently I managed to get a hold of a 3080 Ti graphics card, so I'm back on PC. Uh, okay, working my, working my way through the Mass Effect Legendary output now. Okay, very cool. But uh, when I was at when I was at Microsoft, I worked on Xbox. I was part of the Xbox One launch team, so Xbox has a has a special place in my heart too. And, and PlayFab is that a Microsoft company? It is now. Uh, they were acquired by Microsoft not super long after I left, and now it's Azure PlayFab. So they power um, they power a lot of games, <laughs> big ones. Um, what? made you get into management or in the leadership path versus remaining an individual contributor? Yeah, that's a, always a really good question. So I was an individual contributor for obviously the majority of my career. Um, and I just hit a point where I sat down and I'm like, I've solved a lot of hard problems, right? I have run boxes that are handling a thousand requests per second. I have designed a load balancer to handle a million concurrent requests per second. I have spun up, you know, spun up whole back end with, you know, me and two other guys. We spun the whole thing up all by ourselves to handle an insane amount of concurrent traffic. And 
the thought of solving the same problems again and again just became really boring to me. And I thought, um, well, I'm really interested in helping other people solve problems. So I'm really interested in empowering, you know, empowering not just one person, because as an individual contributor, you have great impact with, but it's the impact of your fingers on your keyboard. Um, and the impact that I have in, in management and technical leadership now is empowering, you know, 20 or 30 people to put their hands on keyboard and solve the problems they want to solve and getting to snowplow out of their way all of the, <laughs> the garbage that they're not interested in solving and that's boring to them um, and making the whole system work. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, congrats on, on making that smooth transition. Uh, you know, not everyone can do it. Was it tough for you? To, to make that transition? Like, um, you know, I know some people have struggled and gone back to an IC. Just curious as, as to how your path was going from IC to management. Yeah, um, it was a little bit of a struggle. And the hardest struggle really has been, well, there's there was actually two struggles. The first one was going from IC to manager and the second actually going from manager to, to manager of managers. Um, but moving from IC to manager was, it involved having to relearn a lot of new uh, new muscle memory because you know when you're when you're faced with a problem as an IC a technical problem or or a pupil problem you're you're going to solve the technical problem of course the pupil problem is somebody else's job but when you're a manager even if the technical problem is really interesting and really thorny you have to do the pupil problem first right that's your first priority um, so relearning that muscle memory um, and focusing not on just you know yes, of course I have all these skills, I know how to do all these things, but I need to teach my team how to do these things and empower them uh, to teach each other things that I don't know. Uh, and having to learn that set of skills and having to build a more indirect influence to get things done was, uh, was definitely a, a learning curve for me. Um, earlier you mentioned solving, like you, you mentioned solving people puzzles um, and system puzzles, but would you categorize that as, as the most rewarding part of being in management or is there something else that is more rewarding for you? Yeah, I mean, those are those are the fun part of being in management, but I would say the most rewarding part is watching watching people grow, right? I've had new college hires start, they're, they're, they're raw, they have no experience and watching them bloom into, into senior engineers who are independent, who are thoughtful, who are confident in their abilities, who are you know, constantly learning that that's really the most rewarding part for me. I like managing, you know, staff level and above. Those are fun, but the real, like the real reward comes from taking um, entry level people or underserved people or people who um, have room to grow and really helping them grow and actualize and become whatever the best engineer is for them. Do you have any, um, anyone in mind? Maybe, you know, you, you don't have to name names or anything where or a story you could tell of, someone who you helped and groomed and now they're they're doing something or they're in management or they're a principal engineer any stories like that you can share with us um well i can say so i had i oh, maybe maybe he listened maybe he won't but i had an intern actually when i was at playfab um who was a great intern who i, I thought did great work um, and he actually followed me over to Imparticle after he graduated um, and watching him grow from from intern, right? I've known him since he was a college student into a really, really solid, um, a solid engineer who, you know, can can manage his own work, who's growing. I don't, I don't you know, right now he's deciding if he's going to go down a, a tech lead path or a manager path or just a senior IC path. But watching him uh, through all these years, you know, I've known him for, I don't know, five years now. Um 
watching him decide uh, decide in his path and have the have all the pieces that he needs in order to make a decision to know that he can make a decision has been really, really exciting for me. And what would you say has been the most challenging part? So the most challenging part um, is, is I'm sure is for most managers is making sure that, um, that I've done my part to enable people to get their work done. um, But also to make sure that people are, are meeting me halfway or, you know, partway. Um, right. So when you have people who, for whatever reason, aren't, aren't performing as we expect, um, having to, you know, tackle that and coach, coach them through that, um, and be, be successful has, is, is really challenging, um, because we want everybody to succeed. We worked really hard to hire them. We build relationships. Um, and so I'm, I'm really committed to doing the best that I can to help people succeed, um, but that is, you know, it's a challenging topic to discuss performance and to discuss um, needed changes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's an intrinsically confrontational, co- confrontational topic that, you know, it's, it's tough. So how, how, how have you had those conversations with folks where you make it a constructive conversation, not a confrontational conversation? Yeah, so I, I try to focus on, on the facts, right? Here's what's happening you committed that you would get this work done two weeks ago. It's still not done. How can you know what what's happened? Are we um, did we set unrealistic expectations? Did um, did something happen in in home or personal life that they need time? Um, are we dealing with burnout? Uh, because there's there's a lot of different um, different possible causes and different possible things that need to be done for oh you know your project is late. So really getting to the root of that and then addressing whatever the root is, right? If the problem is, oh, whoops, this person truly doesn't have the horsepower for the task we've we've asked them to do, it's a very different problem than, yep, this person is burned out or this person has a, you know, has a health situation or some other situation going on at home that we need to um, accommodate or this person doesn't, you know, doesn't have time management skills and we need to coach them in. Um, so identifying the problem and, and then applying a you know together coming to a mutually beneficial solution right because you're not going to get any solution if the person with with the issue isn't isn't enrolled 100 percent. so i i have i have a couple friends that have been software engineers for like 10 you know 10 plus years 15 years and they've they've done you know they've gone to the career path of like junior intermediate and they've been a senior engineer for for a while and they they want to get into the next level that, you know, either being staff or architect or, or management, but they, they don't seem to get the opportunities to move up. Um, what advice would you have for somebody in that situation? Yeah, that's so I wrestled with that for a while. Um, I knew that I wanted to be I wanted to move into management, getting but getting your first management opportunities is actually quite tricky, especially um especially if you're trying if you don't if you don't have experience it's hard to get an actual role so yeah so there's something to be said for trying to get um an in-place promotion if you have a workplace that will support it or or a trial i i the first (laughs) the first experience i got with management was um i convinced my manager to give me an intern and they gave me an intern and i really liked it and so then i had six (laughs) interns um and then and, you know, but that gave me enough experience that when I was applying for an entry-level manager role, it, it counted. Um, 
So trying to find somebody in your organization who will support your career growth needs is the simplest. Uh, but if you're not getting that need met, um, get as much as you can out of where you're at. And then, you know, perhaps it's time to, to, to start looking. Uh, one thing I will say, though, is if somebody is thinking, if I'm going to be, you know, I don't know if I want to be architect or I want to be in IC or I want to be a manager. Um, the first question I would I would have them ask themselves is what what problems are they most passionate about? I've known people who think they need to get into management in order to meet the next level because that's just expected. Um, but in our industry, that's not true. In a lot of industries, it is, of course. But in ours, most companies, senior ICs can go all the way up to, to the tippy top um, and make just as much, if not a lot more money than people in the management chain. So figuring out what type of problems you want to solve and what your instinct is for those problems is probably the most important thing to decide whether you really should be chasing management roles or IC roles. Yeah, I think it's such a great point, Melissa. Um, you have to have ownership over your career and, and you have to know where you want to take it, right? Because no one's exactly. going to spoon feed you. Here, Here's your track. You, you kind of have to you know, have those conversations with your manager and, and have them help support you get there. So, uh, you know, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, your manager, you know, if you have a good manager, that manager absolutely should be a partner in helping you with the next steps in your career, even if the next steps in your career don't always necessarily align with the role you're doing or your company's current needs. Sean kind of gave a brief overview of your, your career this far. Uh, but what one thing that jumped out at me was that you were working at very big organizations, right? Boeing, um, mm-hmm. and then ended up at Microsoft and, and now you're, you're at M particle when you were at Playfab, was that a small shop too? Like how did, oh, how good. did it you, was tiny. I was, <laughs> yeah, go ahead, sir. Go ahead. Um, so my, my question was, how did you find that transition from like large enterprise, like Boeing to like to Playfab or from like Microsoft to M particle? Yeah. So when I joined Playfab, I was, uh, I was engineer number three, I think maybe number four. Um, it was, it was, it was pretty tiny. Um, and so I had just left, uh, Microsoft and I had just, um, I actually, I left Microsoft not, not long after returning from maternity leave, which was a whole thing. Um, but I was really burnt out, uh, TLDR on large company culture from that whole, uh, experience. So I was definitely ready for something smaller, uh, more personal, um, but the change of expectations and the change in autonomy was was a big deal. It was a lot to overcome. You know, at Microsoft, there's a process and a process and a process for everything. If you want to hire somebody, you fill out the form on the spreadsheet and then you go to HR and they tell you, like, they, they set everything up for you, right? All you have to do is say yes or no. Um, you don't have to invent a hiring process like we had to, like we had to do at Playfab or, at, you know, in Particle when I first joined, right? There's no there's no process. There's no HR handing to you. Here's your interview pool and here's your training and here's how we're going to get candidates. Um, you wear a lot more hats as a small company, but that comes with a lot more autonomy and a lot more ability to be creative. That um, I find I, I'm really passionate about. I really enjoy having that freedom to decide and evaluate and have uh, a pretty broad impact across the organization that you just don't get at a big company when you're, you know, one teeny, teeny, tiny cog amongst tens to hundreds of thousands. It's, it's, it's so interesting around the, the process piece, right? Um, I, I've, you know, we've worked with enterprises and with startups, so we've seen both sides of the coin. Um, we do hear this a lot though, and I'm, I'm curious to get your take. Some of our 
startup clients say, I, I prefer candidates who have worked at a startup and some of our enterprise clients say, I prefer candidates who have enterprise experience. Do you prescribe to that kind of mentality or, you know, when you're hiring, does it not matter to you? When, when I'm hiring, it doesn't matter to me so much the company as it does what they were doing at the company, right? I came from Microsoft, absolutely huge company, big enterprise problems. Uh, but I also came from Bing, which was run for many, many years, like a startup within Microsoft, like a, a relatively small one um, with very little, you know, it was run greenfield, so very little overhead. Um, so it was not what you would expect necessarily for somebody who says, yeah, I was at Microsoft. Um, so I try not to judge people too quickly based on just the name of the company, so much as what they were doing, how they were doing it, who they were doing it with. Um, that matters a lot more. And um, so speaking of transitions, um, I went. So I, like you, I went to school. Um, I learned, I learned comsci in university. Uh, my first job was at Big Corp, um, and one of the things that you know I learned was how to teach myself new skills, right? So university was mm -hmm. all lecture-based and labs, and I don't, I don't even re really remember um, if Wikipedia, I might be dating myself here, I don't remember Wikipedia being a big deal when I was in university. I think it was still small. And, yeah. and you know, when I had to learn something new, it was like, go to the library and get a book. Buy an O'Reilly book. Wait for it in the mail. Um, and But today... Medium articles, YouTube videos, podcasts, ebooks, dozens of tutorials, and I think the biggest one is you know Stack Overflow, um, where you can just kind of Google problems that have been around for ten years that other people have solved. Um, I'm really curious to know how have your how has your like your learning journey evolved over time, especially you know as an IC, but also as management. Yeah, I really struggled. I struggled a lot actually in university. I didn't. I wasn't a very good student. Um, I didn't know what to do and how to do it. Um, I actually struggled with how how to learn this stuff. I think if you know I'd have had Stack Overflow or Google, I think I would have had a much uh, probably a much better GPA. Um, but it was difficult, right? You had to look stuff up in a book. And you had to know the right book, and it was a lot of word of mouth, and so that mattered a lot, right? Who you were friends with and whose study groups you went to. Um, who you knew had a huge impact on your ability to learn. Um, and I really do think that, you know, the, the push towards knowledge on YouTube and knowledge on Stack Overflow, knowledge all over the place. Um, the new college grads are coming out knowing all kinds of things that, you know, 10, 15 years ago, they only would have gotten coming out in the job. And I'm thinking especially of something like how to use Git. Mm -hmm. I had no idea how to use source control coming out of university and it's something I learned in my first job. Uh, but almost almost every kid knows the basics of source control coming out of college now. Um, and that's you know relatively easy to learn. It's not like they take a course in it. Or maybe they do now. But um, right, it's pretty easy to teach yourself on the internet from documentation. It's pretty easy to know you need it because your circle of community isn't just the 10 people in class or the few people that you know. Your circle of community is as big as you want it to be on the internet. You join the right Discord, you join the right Slack channels, you join the right, you know, the right Hangouts, the right meetups. And all of a sudden you have this incredible network of information available at your fingertips that I think gives people you know, a huge advantage compared to what we had coming <laughs> coming out of university. Uh, 
however many years ago you guys said it was. I don't want to think about it too much. <laughs> well, if there's a, you know, people are just learning so quick now. Even when I see my, my two-year-old daughter, uh, how fast she picks things up, how, how uh, smart she is with the iPad. She can get to all the content she's looking for. And I can only imagine as you get older, if you're getting into software engineering, how much easier it could be potentially now than it, it was, you know, however many years ago. Absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I benefited a lot from very early tech in schools that a lot of people my <laughs> my age didn't or my generation didn't, right? We had, we were playing programming puzzles on the computer in second grade where we had, I don't know if you, if you all had that, the logo writer, the turtle. Those are, those are algorithm puzzles, no different than my daughter has a, you know, has, has a game on her iPad, but it's fundamentally the same. Um, and I think in, in certainly in my generation, there's a big uh, gap between the people who grew up with this, you know, maybe we didn't grow up with iPads, but we grew up with the same type of puzzles in video game form or in, you know, digital form um, and those who didn't. Well, it sounds like uh, we'll have to do a follow-up meeting and, uh, you know, play a group, group game of Oregon Trail or something. Yes. <laughs> well, Melissa, we, uh, we, we do really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. This was a very interesting conversation. Thank you so much for your time. We know you got a ton going on, and you know, hopefully we can, we can do this uh, again sometime. Yeah, thank you both. Like I said, happy to be here. Really good conversation today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, thanks, Melissa.